John chapter 11, we went through some of this already, and this is the interaction that Jesus has, really his last public thing that he does on his way to the cross. And we've taken a couple weeks to work up to this point. And last week, just as a way of reminder for those of you who were here and for those who were not, just to update you, Jesus had uh, interaction with Martha. She comes to him and says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But as we learned the week before, this is all part of Jesus' plan. It's true that if you would have been there, maybe he would have not allowed Lazarus to die. But as Jesus said before, this illness does not lead to death, meaning ultimate death, but it is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. This was part of the plan. Lazarus needed to die so Jesus would bring him back to show who Jesus is. She ended in chapter 11. Martha said, starting in verse 27, she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. And that's where we pick up today. So if you'll follow along, I'm going to read out loud, starting in verse 28. And you can quietly... Follow along as I read out loud. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly to go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time... There will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Last week we saw how Martha interacted with Jesus. Now we're going to see Mary's interaction and see how the story continues. So again, reminding you in verse 27, we'll work through this verse by verse. She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. Now verse 28, where we're starting today. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary. Again, remember, Jesus came and Martha got wind of it. So she got up and she went out. Mary stayed at the house, probably with those who were mourning, who had come to visit. So Martha sneaks away. She comes back and now she says, Mary... And in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. We don't need to try to assume things into the text. 
like Mary was disobedient earlier by not going or she wasn't excited about Jesus being there. It seems either she didn't know that Jesus had come yet or she was taking her turn with the people. But why do we know that? Because look what happens next. The teacher is here, which shows that they're his disciples, even women, yes. And he's calling for you, verse 29. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. She quickly goes. So it's not like there's some issue. It's not like she's like, oh, I don't really want to believe in Jesus. So it's not like Mary was not interested in Jesus. As soon as she hears that he's there, she quickly gets up and she goes. Verse 30. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village. Remember, he stopped on the outskirts of the village. He didn't go in. Why didn't he go in? Because if he were to go into the village, like we said, it was going to create a big commotion. It wasn't his time yet. He knows he's on his way to the cross, and I think he probably wants some time with Martha and Mary and, his, and the disciples, apart from the big crowd, that we're going to see that it comes. He stops outside of the village, and he doesn't go in, but was in the place where Martha had met him. See how the story unfolds. So Mary gets up and goes, when the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, all those Jews who had come from Jerusalem, they saw Mary rise quickly and go out. So they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Part of, again, this seven-day ritual of mourning with one another. They're just doing their part. She gets up to go, hey, we're going to go cry with her at the tomb. Verse 32 now it begins to get interesting. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Same thing Martha said. Probably again, something Martha and Mary were talking about when they sent the letter or the messenger originally to Jesus. If he gets here in time, Lazarus won't die. But we remember from last week, as he started to go, as soon as they sent him, Lazarus died before the message even got to Jesus, because it was a one-day travel. Jesus waited two days, and then he came, and then he's been in the tomb for four days. So we know he was already dead, but they had talked about this. They know Jesus can heal, but they're learning more about Jesus. But notice this isn't a rebuke. Just like if you remember what Martha had said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, if she follows it up, Martha, this is in verse 22, but even now I know whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Notice she says it, if you'd have been here, but it's not a rebuke. She's still trusting. Mary doesn't say anything different, but what do we get from the story of Mary? She comes up and she falls at his feet. So we see it's not a rebuke from Mary either. They're still trusting in Christ. Now this is where... It gets very interesting. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. I need you to picture this. Jesus is there. Mary comes and she falls down at his feet and she's crying. Should she be crying? Should she be crying? It's not your question. Her brother's dead, right? Yeah, she's crying. The Jews are coming and they're crying. But she falls at his feet and she's crying, and then it says, the text says, he looks at her and he looks at them, and then it says something interesting. Deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. 
This is a very poor translation of this. Some of your study Bibles, if you were to go down and look in the footnotes, it'll start to explain this a little more. The proper or a better translation of this should be, and he was angry, indignant, and he shook with anger. See, we read that verse a lot of times and we think, oh, he's so sad and he's deeply moved and Jesus, he just knows all about our hurts. That's true. But that's not all this text is saying. It says, he saw her weeping, he saw them weeping, and he began to shake with anger inside. And he was indignant. Well, why? Begs the question, why Jesus? Why, why would you get angry? Has Mary done something wrong? Are they doing something wrong? There's a lot of different interpretations on this. A lot of different interpretations on what in the world, why is Jesus responding this way? But maybe it's just a weird moment for him. Let's continue on and we'll get to it. So then verse 34, and he said, where have you laid him? Where have you laid him? They said, Lord, come and see. And then one of the shortest verses in the Bible, Jesus wept. Y'all familiar with that? Jesus wept, right? Moses slept. This isn't a loud wailing And we don't see Jesus cry a lot in the Scriptures. Three times that we know of. This moment, when He looks over Jerusalem, and He knows the destruction that's coming upon them, and they will not repent of their sin. And He weeps over them. And in Hebrews, it mentions it as well, that it seems that He wept in the garden. Yes, because He was going to the cross, but not only because of the physical pain that was about to come but the wrath of God was about to be poured out on him. And that relationship that he has with the Father was going to be different for those moments. He was about to take on the sin of the world, and he weeps in that moment. There's three times that we know he weeps, and this is one of them. So here's what the Jews said. See how he loved him. He just loved him so much. Did he love Lazarus? Well, we saw that last week, right? Over and over again. He loves Lazarus. He loves Mary. He loves Martha. Does he love them? Yes. Is he sad about that? Probably. Yes. Is he sad that they're mourning? Yes. But that's not all that this text is saying. Look at verse 37. Here's where we start to get some more clues. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of a blind man also have kept this man from dying? Do you remember the blind man? The man born blind, right? That made a pretty big impact. Apparently he had this great healing. And so people are starting to go, hmm, couldn't, something's wrong with Jesus. He couldn't have done something about this? There's also some unbelief that's going on here. And then verse 38, look. Then Jesus deeply moved again. Same language as verse 33. So, then Jesus, angry, shaking with anger, indignant, not moved. He's angry again by what's happening. He came to the tomb. It was a cave, and the stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. I want to submit to you this morning what Jesus is angry about. I do think there's sadness that's going on. I think he, it is precious in his sight when his saints die. I think it is, uh, he sees our sorrow. I think that's in there. But again, like I said, there's more than that. Twofold. One, 
the unbelief that exists especially in some of these Jews that are there. I don't think it's towards Mary at this point, although some commentators do. They think it's against Martha and Mary as well. I don't fully agree with that, but you could hold to that. It's some about unbelief, but I'll tell you what it's definitely about. It's about sin. And it's about death. He is specifically angry about death. Which means he's ultimately angry about sin. He is angry at sin because of what it does. He's seeing the weeping. He's seeing the unbelief. He's seeing death of his friend. And he's saying, look, this is what sin does. And he's angry about it. Not deeply moved in his spirit. He hates it. Utterly hates it because of what it does. Because sin absolutely ruins everything every time even though it promises something else. Almost every sinful thing, it promises that it's going to be good. This is a good thing. You should do this. It'll make you feel good. It'll take your mind off of things. It promises that and it never delivers because it can't. He hates it because it brings death and separation from God. And brothers and sisters, I think we take sin too lightly. We toy with it. We rationalize it. We justify it. Jesus shakes with anger about it. Do you shake with anger about your own sin? I'm not even talking about other people. Let's go here. Do you shake with your anger with your own sin? Or do you justify it? Rationalize it? It's having an off day. I messed up. I slipped up. Nowhere in the Bible is that how sin's talked about. It is detestable to our God. And if this offends you, of what I'm saying, and you're, oh, I went sin talk, then you probably have a heart issue. You probably have a heart issue. You might be okay with your sin. Jesus isn't afraid to talk about it. The Bible talks about it. So we talk about it because what Jesus did about it. There's no good news without the bad news. You have to understand that. And if you completely just move away from the fact that you have been delivered by grace, that you have been saved, if you move away from that, you forget grace. And you start to think that you've done something to earn your salvation. Or, if you think, well, I'm a Christian and I don't do that anymore, or I'm not as bad as I once was, you still don't get it because the deeper you press into Christ, the more He shows you your heart. He shows it and he says, oh, because what happens is your mind's renewed, you see the Scriptures, then you start to see your motives, you see your heart the way God sees it, and you go, oh my gosh, and that's why the Apostle Paul can say, man, I am the chief of sinners. If you don't think that way, I'm telling you, I love you, but you're not getting it yet. And right now, if you're thinking, well, that person's a sinner over there, I know that, you're not getting it yet. Jesus is so angry, he's shaking inside about this. It ruins everything. There's no one, I promise you, you can search the world over, there's no one who will ultimately tell you that truly the sinful act they did turned out really good in the end. It may turn out good for a while, but this life is nothing but a vapor. And even if you think you'll get away with it, you won't. Every single one of us will stand before Christ, 
before all the angels and before every human being that's ever lived, and you will give an account. And on that day, you have one hope. I have one hope in that day. Christ. That he loved me enough to die on that cross and just wash me with his blood. And the reason that we know that God approves that and that he accepts it is because after three days, he doesn't stay in the grave. Yeah, he's about to raise Lazarus. That's a neat miracle. His is even better. He comes back and lives forever. Lazarus comes back, he lives for a while, and then he's going to have to die again. One day we all will die, unless we're here when the Lord comes. But I tell you this, we, we will get a new body too. The real resurrection. See, a lot of times people will call this story about Lazarus a resuscitation because he comes back to life and then he has to die again. That's what they mean by it. It's a resurrection. He was dead. Christ raises him. But Christ, he is living forever and one day that will be the case for us. It's not just a spiritual resurrection. There's a bodily one coming. Jesus is angry. He shakes in his soul about sin. Back to 39. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. And I, the King James Version is great here. Lord, he stinketh. He's dead. Okay? He's not kind of dead. He's dead. Look what Jesus says. Verse 40, Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Now, we don't know exactly where he said that, but it seems like if you go back in the early part of chapter 11, when they sent the message to Jesus and he said, this illness does not lead to death, it is for the glory of God so that the Son of Man might be glorified through it. It seems like maybe he sent that message back to them. Or at another point, he told Martha this. Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Here's the last thing I want to talk about today. The first is what we talked about with sin. Do you shake in anger at your own sin? If you do not, then you don't get it yet. And you need to repent and give it to God and be done with it. The second thing is this phrase here. Jesus said, did I not tell you if you believed, you would see the glory of God? We'll unpack next week what that means specifically for Martha. But here's what I want to say to you. If you believe that Jesus can do the impossible in your life, you will see the glory of God if that matches up with his will. Some of you this morning, I think you have stopped believing that God is a God of miracles and of the impossible. I think there are people in your life that maybe they haven't become Christians yet, and you're like, there's no chance. Not that person. They'll never become a Christian. Guess what? That was true of you, (laughs) and you became a Christian. (laughs) Don't give up. He is a God of what we would see impossible. She just said, he's been in the tomb four days. What are you going to do about that? Jesus, come on. He said, you don't get it. You're not looking with the right eyes. 
Brothers and sisters, you may have a deep sin going on that you just feel trapped in. He's a God that can break that for you if you'll give it to him. Some of you have given up on your marriage, on hoping that it's going to work. Some of you have given up on relationships with a son or a daughter or a friend, and you're just saying, no, it's done. Praise God he has not given up on you. Do not give up on him. He can work. But you can't go to him going, Lord, he stinketh. There's no chance. You can't do anything about that. You have to go with faith and say, God, I believe you can do this. Now, that doesn't mean it's going to work out exactly how you think. I promise you that too. And praise God for that because he's able to do abundantly more. He will work it out in a way that gives him glory and is for your good. Our part is to have faith. Stop doubting. Get back to a time, get back to a place to where you believed that God was a God of miracles, that God is a God of great works, because he is. Scriptures remind us of it. This story reminds us of it. The resurrection reminds us of it. If he can defeat sin, Satan, and death, he can handle any issue you have. You need to go to him. Give it to him. So the two things for those of you who are Christians here today. Ask God to give you a hatred for your sin. And ask God to give you faith to believe that he can do the impossible. If you're not a Christian, today you cry out to him for faith that he would make you new, that he would change your heart, that he would adopt you into his family. You cry out to him. And what's incredible is anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You can be saved today. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we are thankful for this time in your word and this time together. Lord, I do pray for my brothers and sisters, my friends, my family here, Lord. I do pray that you would use this word and press it deep into our hearts. Help us to be broken over our sin, but Lord, help us not to stay there either. Help us to repent of our sin. And help us to just rest in the fact that you are faithful to forgive if we're faithful to ask. And help it to be true repentance, not tears of worldly sorrow that don't lead anywhere over and over again, but of godly sorrow that leads to repentance. Help Help me do that. Help us do that, Lord. And help us to believe that you are a great God. You are a big God who does remarkable things more than we could even think or imagine. Help me to have that faith. Help us as a church. Help everyone in here to have that faith that you can do that in whatever situation we're thinking of. And for those again who are here, Lord, I pray they would cry out to you now for salvation. And we know that you'll save them. Help us to rejoice that you have washed our sin away. Help us to rejoice that this death does not have the last word. That we die, we go to be with you in spirit, and one day the bodily resurrection, and one one day everything is made right. And then we won't have any more sorrow or tears or pain or death. Nothing 
except eternal glory with you and one another. We long for that day. Help us to live in that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.